Chapter Twelve of Whispering Smith by Frank Spearman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve. Parley. It was recalled one evening not long ago at the Wickiup that the affair with Sinclair had all taken place within a period of two years, and that practically all of the actors in the event had been together and in friendly relation on a Thanksgiving day at the Dunning Ranch not so very long before the trouble began. Dixie Dunning was away at school at the time, and Lance Dunning was celebrating with a riding and shooting fest and a barbecue. The whole country had been invited. Bucks was in the mountains on an inspection trip, and Bill Dancing drove him with a party of railroad men over from Madison Bend. The mountain men for a hundred and fifty miles around were out. Gene and Bob Johnson from Oroville and the Peace River had come with their friends. From Williams Cash there was not only a big delegation, more of one than was really desirable, but it was led by old John Rebstock himself. When the invitation is general, lines cannot be too closely drawn. Not only was Lance Dunning something of a sport himself, but on the long range it is a part of a stockman's creed to be on good terms with his neighbors. At a Thanksgiving Day barbecue, not even a mountain sheriff would ask questions, and Ed Banks, though present, respected the holiday truce. Cowboys rode that day in the roping contest who were from Mission Creek and from Two Feather River. Among the railroad people were George McLeod, Anderson, the assistant superintendent, Farrell Kennedy, chief of the special service, and his right-hand man, Bob Scott. In a special, Sinclair's presence at the barbecue was recalled. He had some cronies with him from among his upcountry following and was introducing his new bridge foreman, Carg, afterward known as Flatnose, and George Seagrew, the Montana cowboy. Sinclair fraternized that day with the Williams cashmen, and it was remarked even then that though a railroad man, he appeared somewhat outside the railroad circle. When the shooting matches were announced, a brown-eyed railroad man was asked to enter. He had been out of the mountains for some time and was a comparative stranger in the gathering. But the Williams cashmen had not forgotten him. Rebstock especially wanted to see him shoot. While much of the time out on the mountains on railroad business, he was known to be closely in Buck's councils, and as to the mountains themselves, he was reputed to know them better than Buck's or Glover himself knew them. This was Whispering Smith. But beyond a low-voiced greeting or an expression of surprise at meeting an old acquaintance, he avoided talk. When urged to shoot, he resisted all persuasion and backed up his refusal by showing a bruise on his trigger finger. He declined even to act as judge in the contest, suggesting the sheriff, Ed Banks, for that office. The rifle matches were held in the hills above the ranch house, and in the contest between the ranches, for which a sweepstakes had been arranged, Sinclair entered Seagrew, who was then working for him. Seagrew shot all the morning and steadily held up the credit of the Frenchman Valley Ranch against the field. Neither continued shooting nor severe tests availed to upset Sinclair's entry, 
and riding back after the matches with the prize purse in his pocket Seagrew, who was tall light-haired and perfectly built made a new honor for himself on a dare from stormy gorman the foreman of the dunning ranch gorman who had ridden a race back with sinclair was at the foot of the long hill down which the crowd was riding when he stopped yelled back at Seagrew, and swinging his hat from his head laid it on a sloping rock beside the trail you better not do that stormy said sinclair Seagrew will put a hole through it gorman laughed jealously if he can hit it let him hit it at the top of the hill Seagrew had dismounted and was making ready to shoot whispering smith at his side had halted with the party and the cowboy knelt to adjust his sights on his knee he turned to whispering smith whom he seemed to know with an abrupt question how far do you call it the answer was made without hesitation give it seven hundred and fifty yards Seagrew. the cowboy made ready brought his rifle to his shoulder and fired the slug passed through the crown of the hat and a shower of splinters flying back from the rock blew the felt into a sieve gorman's curiosity as well as that of everybody else seemed satisfied and gaining the level ground the party broke into a helter-skelter race for the revolver shooting in this sinclair himself had entered and after the early matches found only one troublesome contestant dusang from the cache who was present under rebstock's wing after sinclair and dusang had tied in test after test at shooting out of the saddle whispering smith who lost sight of nothing in the gunplay called for a pack of cards stripped the aces from the deck and had a little conference with the judge the two contestants sinclair and dusang were ordered back thirty-five paces on their horses and the railroad man walking over to the targets held out between the thumb and forefinger of his left hand the ace of clubs the man that should first shoot the pip out of the card was to take the prize a cheyenne saddle sinclair shot and his horse perfectly trained stood like a statue the card flew from smith's hand but the bullet had struck the ace almost an inch above the pip and a second ace was held out for dusang as he raised his gun his horse moved he spurred angrily circled quickly about halted and instantly fired it was not alone that his bullet cut the shoulder of the club pip on the card the whole movement beginning with the circling dash of the horse under the spur the sudden halt and the instantly accurate aim raised a quick approving yell for the newcomer the signal was given for sinclair and a third ace went up in the silence sinclair with deliberate care brought his gun down on the card fired and cut the pip cleanly from the white field dusang was urged to shoot again but his horse annoyed him and he would not with a little speech the prize was given by ed banks to sinclair here's hoping your gun will never be trained on me murray smiled the modest sheriff sinclair responded with high humor he had every reason to feel good 
His horses had won the running races, and his crowd had the honors with the guns. He turned to Dussang, who sat close by in the circle of horsemen, and, holding the big prize out toward him on his knee, asked him to accept it. "'It's yours by rights, anyway, Dussang,' declared Sinclair. "'You're a whole lot better shot than I am, every turn of the road. You've shot all day from a nervous horse.' not only would sinclair not allow a refusal of his gift but to make his generosity worth while he dispatched flatnose to the corral and the foreman rode back leading the pony that had won the half-mile dash sinclair cinched the prize saddle on the colt with his own hands led the beast to desang placed the bridle in his hand and bowed from a jay to a marksman he said saluting Dussain, greatly embarrassed by the affair—he had curious pink eyes—blinked and got away to the stables. When Rebstock joined him, the Williams' cash party were saddling to go home. Dussain made no reference to his gift horse and saddle, but spoke of the man who had held the target aces. "'He must be a sucker,' declared Dussain with an oath. "'I wouldn't do that for any man on top of ground. Who is he?' that man wheezed ribstock never have no dealings with him he plays most any kind of a game he's always ready to play and holds aces most of the time don't you remember my telling about the man that got chuck williams and hauled him out of the cash on a buckboard that's the man here he give me this for you it's your card ribstock handed to sang the target ace of clubs why didn't you thank murray sinclair you mule dussang whose eyelashes were white blinked at the hole through the card and looked around as he rode back across the field for the man that had held it but whispering smith had disappeared he was at that moment walking past the barbecue pit with george mcleod rebstock talks a great deal about your shooting gordon said mcleod to his companion he and i once had a little private match of our own it was on the peace river over a bunch of steers since then we got along very well though he has an exaggerated opinion of my ability rebstock's worst failing is his eyesight it bothers him in seeing brands he's liable to brand a critter half a dozen times that albino dussang is a queer duck sinclair gave him a fine horse there they go the cash riders were running their horses and whooping across the creek what a hand a state prison warden at fort city could draw out of that crowd george continued mcleod's companion if the right man should get busy with that bunch of horses sinclair's got together and organize those up-country fellows for mischief wouldn't it make things hum on the mountain division for a while mcleod did not meet the host lance dunning that day nor since the day of the barbecue had dussang or sinclair seen whispering smith until the night dussang spotted him near the wheel in the three horses dussang at once drew out of his game and left the room sinclair in the meantime had undertaken a quarrelsome interview with whispering smith i suppose you knew i was here said smith to him amiably of course i don't travel in a private car or carry a billboard on my back but i haven't been hiding 
last time we talked returned sinclair measuring words carefully you were going to stay out of the mountains i should have been glad to murray affairs are in such shape on the division now that somebody had to come so they sent for me the two men were sitting at a table whispering smith was cutting and leisurely mixing a pack of cards well so far as i'm concerned i'm out of it sinclair went on after a pause but however that may be if you're back here looking for trouble there's no reason i guess why you can't find it that's not it i'm not here looking for trouble i'm here to fix this thing up what do you want not a thing i'm willing to do anything fair and right declared whispering smith raising his voice a little above the hum of the rooms fair and right's an old song and a good one to sing in this country just now i'll do anything i can to adjust any grievance mary what do you want sinclair for a moment was silent and his answer made plain his unwillingness to speak at all there never would have been a grievance if i'd been treated like a white man his eyes burned sullenly i've been treated like a dog that's not it that is it declared sinclair savagely and they'll find it is murray i want to ask only this only this to make things clear bucks feels that he's been treated worse than a dog then let him put me back where i belong it's a little late for that murray a little late said smith gently shouldn't you rather take good money and get off the division mind you i say good money murray and peace sinclair answered without the slightest hesitation not while that man mccloud is here whispering smith smiled i've got no authority to kill mccloud there are plenty of men in the mountains that don't need any but let's start fair urged whispering smith softly he leaned forward with one finger extended in confidence don't let us have any misunderstanding on the start let mccloud alone if he is killed now i'm speaking fair and open and making no threats but i know how it will come out there will be nothing but killing here for six months we will make just that memorandum on mccloud now about the main question every sensible man in the world wants something i know men that have been going a long time without what they wanted smith flushed and nodded you needn't have said that but no matter every sensible man wants something murray this is the big country there's a world's fair running somewhere all the time in it why not travel a little what do you want i want my job or i want a new superintendent here just exactly the two things and by heavens the only two i can't manage come once more and i'll meet you no sinclair rose to his feet no damn your money this is my home the high country is my country it's where my friends are it's filled with your friends i know that but don't put your trust in your friends they will stay by you i know but once in a long while there'll be a false friend murray one that will sell you remember that i stay whispering smith looked up 
in admiration i know your game it isn't necessary for me to say that to you but think of the fight you're going into against this company you can worry them you've done it but a bronco might as well try to buck a locomotive as for one man or six or six hundred to win out in the way you're playing i'll look out for my friends others sinclair hitched his belt and paused but whispering smith cutting and running the cards gave no heed his eyes were fixed on the green cloth under his fingers others repeated sinclair others echoed whispering smith good-naturedly may look out for themselves of course of course well if this is the end of it i'm sorry you will be sorry if you mix in a quarrel that is none of yours why murray i never had a quarrel with a man in my life you're pretty smooth but you can't drive me out of this country i know how well you'd like to do it and take notice there's one trail you can't cross even if you stay here i suppose you understand that smith felt his heart leap he sat in his chair turning the pack slowly but with only one hand now the other hand was free sinclair eyed him sideways smith moistened his lips and when he replied spoke slowly there's no need of dragging any allusion to her into it for that matter i told bucks he should have sent any man but me if i'm in the way sinclair if my present cheers all that stands in the way i'll go back and stay back as before and send anyone else you like or bucks likes are you willing to say that i stand in the way of a settlement sinclair sat down and put his hands on the table no your matter and mine is another affair all i want between you and me is fair and right whispering smith's eyes were on the cards you've always had it then keep away from her don't tell me what to do then don't tell me i'm not telling you you will do as you please so will i i left here because marion asked me to i'm here now because i have been sent here it's in the course of my business i have my living to earn and my friends to protect don't dictate to me because it would be of no use well you know now how to get into trouble everyone knows that few know how to keep out you can't lay a finger on me at any turn of the road not if you behave yourself and you can't bully me surely not no hard feelings murray i came for a friendly talk and if it's all the same to you i'll watch this wheel a while and then go over to the wiki up i leave first that's understood i hope and if your pink-eyed friend is waiting outside tell him there's nothing doing will you murray who is the albino by the way you don't know him i think i do fort city if i remember well good night murray it was after twelve o'clock and the room had filled up roulette balls were dropping and above the faro table the extra lights were on the dealers fresh from supper were putting things in order for the long trick at the wickiup whispering smith found mccloud in the office signing letters i can do nothing with him said smith drawing down a window shade before he seated himself to detail his talk with sinclair he wants a fight 
McLeod put down his pen. If I am the disturber, it would be better for me to get out. That would be hauling down the flag across the whole division. It's too late for that. If he didn't center the fight on you, he would center it somewhere else. The whole question is, who's going to run this division, Sinclair and his gang, or the company? And it is as easy to meet them at one point as another. I know of no way of making this kind of an affair pleasant. I'm going to do some riding, as I told you. Kennedy is working up through the Deep Creek country, and has three men with him. I shall ride toward the cache and meet him somewhere near South Mission Pass. Gordon, would it do any good to ask a few questions? Ask as many as you like, my dear boy, but don't be disappointed if I can't answer them. I can look wise, but I don't know anything. You know what we are up against. This fellow has grown a tiger among the wolves, and he's turned the pack loose on us. One thing I ask you to do, don't expose yourself at night. Your life isn't worth a coupling pin if you do. McLeod raised his hand. Take care of yourself. If you are murdered in this fight, I shall know I got you in and that I am to blame. And suppose you were. Smith had risen from his chair. He had a few mannerisms, and recalling the man the few times I have seen him, the only impression he has left on me is that of quiet and gentleness. Suppose you were. He was resting one arm on top of MacLeod's desk. What of it? You've done for me up here what I couldn't do, George. You've been kind to Marion when she hadn't a friend near. You've stood between him and her when I couldn't be here to do it, and when she didn't want me, helped her when I hadn't the privilege of doing it. MacLeod put up his hand in protest, but it was unheeded. How many times it's been in my heart to kill that man. She knows it. She prays it may never happen. That's why she stays here and has kept me out of the mountains. She says they would talk about her if I lived in the same town, and I've stayed away. He threw himself back into the chair. It's going beyond both of us now. I've kept the promise I made to her today to do all in my power to settle this thing without bloodshed. It will not be settled in that way, George. Was he at Sugar Buttes? If not, his gang was there. The quick getaway, the short turn on Van Horn, killing two men to rattle the posse. It all bears Sinclair's earmarks. He's gone too far. He's piled up plunder till he's reckless. He's crazy with greed and insane with revenge. He thinks he can gallop over this division and scare Bucks till he gets down on his knees to him. Bucks will never do it. I know him, and I tell you Bucks will never do it. He's like that man in Washington. He'll fight it to the death. He would fight Sinclair if he had to come up here and meet him single-handed, but he'll never have to do it. He put you here, George, to round that man up. This is the price for your advancement, and you must pay it. It's all right for me to pay it, but I don't want you to pay it. Will you have a care for yourself, Gordon? Will you? Yes. You need never ask me to be careful, Smith went on. That's my business. I ask you to watch your window shades at night, and when I came in just now, I found one up. It's you who's likely to forget, and in this kind of a game a man never forgets but once. I'll lie down on the Lincoln Lounge, George. Get into the bed. No, I like the lounge, and I'm off early. In the private room of the superintendent, provided as a sleeping apartment in the old headquarters building, 
many years before hotel facilities reached Medicine Bend, stood the only curio the wickiup possessed, the Lincoln Lounge. When the car that carried the remains of Abraham Lincoln from Washington to Springfield was dismantled, the wickiup fell heir to one piece of its elaborate furnishings, the lounge, and the lounge still remains as an early-day relic. Whispering Smith walked into the bedroom and disposed himself in an incredibly short time. "'I've borrowed one of these pillows, George,' he called out presently. "'Take both. One's enough, I hope,' he went on, rolling himself like a hen into the double blanket. "'The horse Kennedy has left me. You'll be all right. He got three from Bill Dancing.' "'Bill Dancing,' he snorted driving his nose into the pillow as if in final memorandum for the night. He will get himself killed if he fools around Sinclair too much now. McLeod, under a light shaded above his desk, opened a roll of blueprints. He was going to follow a construction gang up the crawling stone in the morning, and wanted to look over the surveys. Whispering Smith, breathing regularly, lay not far away. It was late when McLeod put away his maps, entered the inner room, and looked at his friend. He lay like a boy asleep. On the chair beside his head he had placed his old-fashioned hunting-case watch, as big as an alarm clock, the kind a railroad man would wind up with a spike maul. Beside the watch he had laid his huge revolver in its worn leather scabbard, Breathing peacefully, he lay quiet at his companion's mercy, and McLeod, looking down on this man who never made a mistake, never forgot a danger, and never took an unnecessary chance, thought of what between men confidence may sometimes mean. He sat a moment with folded arms on the side of his bed, studying the tired face, defenseless in the slumber of fatigue. When he turned out the light and lay down, he wondered whether, somewhere in the valley of the great river to which he was to take his men in the morning, he should encounter the slight and reckless horsewoman who had blazed so in anger when he stood before her at Marion's. He had struggled against her charm too long. She had become, how or when, he could not tell, not alone a pretty woman, but a fascinating one, the creature of his constant thought already she meant more to him than all else in the world he well knew that if called on to choose between dixie and all else he could only choose her but as he drew together the curtains of thought and sleep stole in upon him he was resolved first to have dixie to have all else if he could but in any case dixie dunning when he awoke day was breaking in the mountains the huge silver watch, the low-voiced man, and the formidable six-shooter had disappeared. It was time to get up, and Marion Sinclair had promised an early breakfast. End of chapter 12